Welcome back. Thanks for joining us, guys. Today we are going to talk about victim blaming. And non-reporting. Yeah. So let's do it. Hey everybody, I'm Alicia. And I'm Josh, and you are listening to the Strive to Make an Impact podcast. Because I am a childhood sexual abuse survivor, it has become our mission to create an impact to advocate for survivors and prevent sexual abuse through education. You will also hear from guests on this podcast that are striving to make their own impact and being a role changer in their own way. We're so excited to have you join us, so let's get started. talk about non-reporting first. So just from a rape standpoint, 78% are not reported. That just, that blows my mind. It does, but it doesn't. Because I get it. I get why they don't. So the other day I watched this video and I actually shared it on my page. Um, by the time this airs, it will probably be a minute to scroll, but you can look up now this on Facebook shared this, um, video of one of the producers of Now This, and her name's Madison, and she is a survivor of rape. Um, basically, long story short, she was celebrating um, the end of the semester. Her and her friends had just gotten done with finals. They went to um, a local pub or restaurant or something, and um, we're just celebrating, having a good time, and a man had ended up drugging her and taking her back to where he lived and raping her while she was incoherent and videotaping it. So, that's in a nutshell her story. And she did report, got the rape kit done, um, was insanely involved in the court proceedings and it still took three years for him to be sentenced even with video evidence of him raping her right and and she goes through and talks said she video logged the entire process yes um and that of the court proceedings by the way right yeah um and then she said that it was so hard to work with because she had to work through four different DAs. Um, she had to be her, her own advocate because things just kept being pushed back. No one told her anything about what was going on because she was living in New York at the time and the rape happened in L.A. Right, so she had to fly back and forth for every um, pre-trial that was continued, which, I mean, in my case, it was continued for over a year, so hers was going on for three years, even with video evidence. Um, and the re one of the reasons she said that it went on so long, even with that video evidence, because I know, like, a lot of our listeners, just like we were, it was, what are you talking, like, it's simple. It's cut and dry. As video, you have it on video. Like, how much more evidence do you need in order to sentence this guy? And so, even though she was drugged and incoherent while the rape was taking place, there were still questions of whether or not she, it, it might have been consensual. I don't know how. I don't understand that. Um, yeah, and obviously we haven't seen the video or tried to right, do any no, of that. Sure. So we can't say what happened in the videos that he took. But I'm pretty sure that you can tell an incoherent person, you know, on a video. 
And so the whole purpose of her, so now now we're getting into, and I want to paint the whole picture, but she's uh, put together this like eight minute video clip of her vlogging the whole process of, okay, it was pre, uh, or it was continued again and they had to continue it until tomorrow and she is some point, at one point in the video she says, I believe it's still on. Um, they said it was still on, but they couldn't get enough of a jury to show up for it to happen today. And so she went through four DAs and tons of continuances. At one point, she even had to fly out, fly back to L.A. from where she lived in New York to beg a judge to stop granting him the continuances that his side was asking for. Um, she had, um, what was it, a, a, detect, a private detective or a, a yeah. uh, private, private investigator. investigator show up at her work. Yeah, following her around to try to help her perpetrator's defense. So, um, but she has this entire um, eight-minute kind of copy-and-pasted together little video blog of um, her victim's impact statement in court, um, some of the clips of the courtroom and the judge, um, and just then different times that she would get on camera um, while she was waiting trial and... Um, kind of talk about her situation and, and all this is compiled in this video that she put together and so there's a couple of things I want to point out here um, I think victim blaming is very prevalent and she did not even necessarily talk about that happening to her but I'm I can point out knowing all the comments on Facebook and how people are so quick to victim blame I already see the major points pulled out from this that people would start to attack one, why is she even making a video of this? Why on earth would she make a video of this? If it was so devastating and it was so terrible, why would she make a video of this to talk about it? She must want attention. And that's probably the one I hear of most is, well, they just want attention. And so that's why they're talking about this. The, the abuse probably didn't even happen. They just want the attention. Which is absolutely crazy to me because, as you can see in her video, she's devastated. Right. And I think that... But that's one of the main reasons, one of the main parts of victim blaming, why so many cases of sexual assault go unreported because people get re-victimized through the justice system, through society. They're re-victimized time and time again because they're just trying to do the right thing and report the abuse so that A, their perpetrator can be held responsible and B, they can't go on hurting other people. And both of which she says that in her video is, is why she's reporting. In fact, I wrote this down. I wrote down a, an actual quote from this video. She said, it took the strength of other women coming forward before me to share my story with you. And so here's the deal, guys. I don't think this was by any stretch of the imagination easy for her to do or for any other survivor or victim to do. Um, it's not an easy thing to report. In my story, I did not report. Um, eventually, I told all the details, but I did not go to someone and report the abuse. Um, we've, we've talked about that in earlier podcast episodes, if you're there. But um, I think that the reason so many people don't report, even if they want the abuse to stop, or even if the abuse has stopped and they want their perpetrator to be held responsible... Um, I think that the reason people don't report is because, a major reason is because of the victim blaming aspect. People think, oh, they just want attention or, um, you know, it was consensual and now they're 
lying about it so they can watch some innocent person go to jail or, you know, what's the point? If it's over, if the abuse is over, then why report it? And I just think that's crazy um, because, as we know, many, most of the time perpetrators are repeat offenders. They don't just stop with one victim. If they're out on the streets, they're doing it again. Um, and I think it's terrible that this lady had to wait three years in order for her perpetrator to be sentenced, even with all the evidence that I she mean, had. not saying that, you know, that's ever going to be an event that she's going to forget or move on from, but it took her four years to really move on with the rest of her life and not have to deal with that stuff on a day-to-day basis. Right. And get closure because there is closure in that there is the year that we went through pre-trial after pre-trial it was devastating knowing that because pre-trials aren't oh we're gonna have to wait a couple of days pre-trials are months they get another month and some of the reasons are so stupid so when she says that she went back and begged the judge to stop granting their wishes i get that because part of the part of the you can get a pre-trial for almost anything i mean and, and it's crazy because in the meantime these people aren't sitting in jail. These abusers are not sitting in jail. I just saw another... We're just going to bounce all over the place here. But I just saw another article this week where a person two counties away from where we live had, in the middle of his own hearing, a child molester, was... Um, the jury was out and he left. He left the courtroom and then didn't come back. And so he's currently missing, on the loose, and the jury found him guilty in the meantime. They went on with the court proceedings, even though he was not there and he was supposed to be there. They went on and found him guilty on all these charges, so he is now a convicted child molester who is gone. And we shared that on our page, and many people were like, well, he should have been locked up in handcuffs. And People don't understand, this man was not sitting in jail. No, he was... He was at home. He woke up in his own bed that morning. You know, it's... Innocent till proven guilty. Right. And, and I mean, even so, like, the man that abused me, they arrested him, and he was out on bail, pending trial. That's how most of these cases go. You get a bail amount, so you get arrested, you get thrown in jail. My abuser did not even spend one night, one 24-hour period in jail and was out on bail within hours. And was at home sleeping in his bed for over a year before he ever went back to jail once he was found guilty. We... Do not put perps in jail um, for a long time, even after they are sentenced. We're certainly, as a legal system, they're not putting them in jail pending hearing unless they just sim- simply don't have the money to get bailed out. And generally, those bail amounts are not high ones. Um, but I think part of what we're trying to do here is, yes, we want to be preventative, and yes, we want to advocate for victims, but this is essentially advocating for victims. When you're talking about the legal process and how broken that is and how when you see something on the news about a man leaving the courtroom and not coming back and now he's missing as a convicted child molester, which is a pretty dangerous, scary thing, you have to understand that, or or I guess I, I find it as a personal mission to allow people to understand, to give them the information to understand that this is normal. And if we, we want to change it, then we have to have a lot more public outcry because they're not going to change laws based on the fact that, people, you know, a comment on Facebook. You have to be involved. You have to be active. You have to advocate for victims instead of shifting the blame to the victims. Right. And, and I think it goes to 
uh, say too that there was that what was it about three months ago the uh, guy in Shelbyville no it was uh, Martinville I'm sorry he uh, was out on he was bonded out and he was then did two more acts of child molestation waiting his trial yeah this this Rushville man was a convicted had already had prior counts before this. Right. They they continue to do it. Right. They're, I'm not going to go in my rant of <laughs> all my things. So, um, right. HSA. Let's get back to victim blaming. Yes. So, um, I think that, this is going to sound so cliche, but I think what we need to get back to is if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, but I would much rather people start um, just believing Instead of, you know, trying to find loops or trying to find breaks in people's stories that don't necessarily add up. Um, I think that we would have a much better world if we would just be kind. You know, we talked about that uh, podcast ago when we were talking in, or, or talking about curriculum. If we would just be good citizens or be kind to each other and advocate for this process to stop, for this problem to end, I think we would really see change. And until that happens, I don't think we're going to see change because people are going to be terrified to report it, even if it means their perpetrator is still out there and they live in fear. To some, that is better than reporting and being made an example of when people are crazy mean. And I think it goes to say, too, that on the other end of the spectrum, it doesn't help when you have people out reporting false crimes. Correct. I mean, because that's... That doesn't help a victim's case whatsoever because, hey, well, this one just reported a rape to, you know, get money or, you know, to ruin someone's life because they were mad at them. Sure, but at the same time, it is not our job as the general public to say, well, maybe they're like this person and they're lying. We need to find holes in their story so that they can... 100%, and that's what I was getting at, is that you can't group everybody into that you know, each case is its own, and if you're not there with the facts, you can't publicly say, hey, she's lying, you know, blah, 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 because you don't know. And generally, you don't know. You don't know even half of it. Even if it's made public knowledge, and you can sit there, and you can look online at the public record, because I've been that person, and I know it. First of all, a couple of rules of thumb. A, don't believe anything you see in the media. And I know that's ironic, because right now, I'm now... I have an appointment to talk with someone on the radio. We've been featured um, in, on TV and uh, and in the paper so far. So the fact that we're even saying that is like, yes, the media can be on our side. But when you hear about sexual abuse cases, it is their job to make you want to read it. So they are only going to pull out the things that they think, that they gauge, makes readers want to read. They're not going to pull out the quote-unquote boring stuff, but essentially that quote-unquote boring stuff is the important pieces of the puzzle that you're not getting in order to make any type of judgment, whether it be informational or not. And so, A, don't believe what you see in the media. B, the whole they just want attention, throw that right out the window. In any real case of sexual assault, I guarantee you they're not doing it for attention. Right, they would rather have their self-respect and everything else back. It is soul-crushing for everyone to know about your abuse. Soul-crushing. 
And it was soul crushing for me for 10 years until I decided to put a different spin on it. And even now it's hard sometimes because there are people, this is not something that has been easy. Granted, I'll take a minute. Our support system has grown even bigger. We have a lot more people on board and choosing to make an impact with us than we do not. But there's always going to be people that tear people down because it brings them happiness to tear people down. And that's fine. I don't, it doesn't bother me at this point. But to be 10 years ago and having people judge you or the situation that you're in because your sexual assault is now public, whether you recorded it or not, is not something that is easy. And I can't imagine anyone, any person doing it for attention. And for me, it was, there was a lot because I was 15. Right. Um, so the fact that I wasn't seven or three or nine years old when my abuse happened is a whole other stigma than, you know, a rape or being groomed and manipulated at seven years right. old versus 15 years old. I think since you started down that road, I think another thing is that people don't understand, you know, we'll take your case, you know, well, she was 15. Didn't she know that that was wrong? And we've talked about that before. Right. It's just... You know, we talked about that when we talked about grooming and everything else and everything. Um, well, I even said it in the WTHR interview. Yeah. Is that I did know that it was wrong. I knew that it was crazy wrong. I knew that it felt horrible and that I was... Basically, I felt like I was a little bit dead as a human because I shut everything off. Because I knew it was that wrong. But by the time that... No, I wouldn't even say the first physical abuse happened. By the time the first unwanted touch happened... And I didn't scream at the rooftops, and he knew at that point that he had had me. He had been working on manipulating and grooming me for over a year. Right. The mind, the mindset was already there. And that's what people on the outside that have never been through anything like this or been close to somebody do not understand. And that's part of the blaming. And they don't have to understand it, but they don't... I think the, the whole point is you don't have to be in this. To understand it and you don't have to try to understand it but what you do need to understand is that because of your lack of understanding you really don't have a leg to stand on to victim blame and say and, and even portray that you know anything about it correct um now that being said i think most of the people listening to this podcast are probably not the type of people that need this message because I think that essentially if you're listening to this podcast and you're supporting this podcast you're generally not the kind of person that's going to victim blame. I think too it's hard for parents because a lot of um, a lot of people reaching out have been parents of kids young children with uh, who have been abused and so I think another facet of it hits them as well so it's not always victim blaming does not always um, is not always targeted to just the victim. It's the victim's family or their parents. And I'm certain that my parents all had a lot of blame uh, thrown at them because they should have known better. They should have seen red flags. And um, I just think it's important to note that you don't know what happened. You don't get behind the scenes and see it. Um, right. I, I'm you glad you the... touched on that because that is something that you hear all the time. It's, I don't know how that parent let that happen to their kid. How did they not do this or not do that? Yeah. And it's terrible because these parents, I, oh my, like I can't even imagine the guilt and fear and just complete 
heartbreak they feel already knowing that they are the parent and that as a parent they feel that it is their job to keep their child safe and they feel like they failed even though I want to tell you if you're a parent listening and you feel like you're in the situation it is not your fault but that's how they feel already and so as a as a society we're going to cast stones and beat them down in ways that they already feel we're just going to exasperate that problem that they already feel so terrible to begin with instead of saying hey I'm here for you if you want to talk I'm here for you if you need help if you want to get help and I can help you with that I'm here for you just being supportive you don't even have to understand and you don't have to pretend you know where they're at because that's even worse but just be supportive right or if you can't do that then just not be in the situation. Yeah, just don't put yourself in there to say things that you don't know about. Right. And I think that can be said for more than just sexual abuse, honestly. I mean, I that, that's about everything in life, <laughs> but social media doesn't allow us to do that. Right. Um, but it is, I just, I feel so terrible for these parents when they reach out because I know that, I know that essentially they're reaching out to me because they might feel that I understand where they're at, and I do. But... I feel terrible because the reason they feel like they can't get the help they need either for their child or for themselves or in the process of, pers- uh, you know, trying to bring someone to justice, they all at the same time feel like people are going to just beat them down completely. And I hate it for them. I hate it for victims of sexual abuse. I hate it for parents of victims of sexual abuse. Um, but it's a very real thing, and that's why. That's the leading cause of non-reporting. And if we're not going to report them, we're going to have more victims of sexual assault because we're not going to stop the abuse. Right. Just not stopping the cycle. And it's just going to keep happening. Um, So just a statistic. I don't like to throw these out here just to fill up podcasts, but I do want to touch on this one. The National Sex Offenders Registry says that a typical pedophile will commit 117 sexual crimes in a lifetime. 117 in a lifetime. That, That blows my mind. I mean, I know I say that a lot, but, I mean, 117. Imagine how drastically different that number would be if we just were able to report in a safe place without fear of being beaten down and judged harshly by people that generally don't know. And we're not even talking about destroying due process and, you know... Saying no, that, this isn't any laws changing. This is not legislation. This is not This is simply if we were to be more kind as a human race and understand that the victim is coming from a place of hurt and pain and confusion. I mean, and that just honestly, it goes back to the talks that our preachers given not too long ago just loving others, right? I mean, I just I would imagine that you know. It would be far less than one in three girls and one in five boys if, you know, before the age of 18. So that's not even all sexual abuse. That's just while they're children. Imagine how drastically different those numbers would be if more reporting were to happen. And if more reporting is going to happen, then we have to stop victim blaming. It's math at that point. It's simple math. You Mm -hmm. have to stop blaming the victim for coming forward. Can our legal systems change? Absolutely. Can we prevent more with education? 100%. That's our mission. But imagine what would happen if we just stopped 
treating the victim like the abuser. 100%. So that's a insanely, I know that a lot of you are listening, you're like, wow, that's a big goal. And it is a big goal. Perhaps it's even bigger than trying to get education, better education in schools and better curriculum in schools. And perhaps it's even larger than going up against um, legislation, trying to change legislation and trying to change the laws that, you know, perpetrators are held to a higher standard. I'm sure that this one is, but the difference is, is this one takes zero dollars and zero effort. Um, so just food for thought there. Uh, I think it brings a different perspective than it's not always that we have to make a new law or tell your kids something different. Sometimes it's just being a kind human Yep, can literally change the world. So that's today's podcast. Um, you know, feel free to connect with us on Facebook. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Um, I'd love to start some discussion on there. Uh, we always post a podcast episode uh, when we when it's live, so feel free to go there and comment on what you thought about today. Let's start some discussion and start changing some things. Thanks for joining us. Hey, appreciate it, guys. I hope you have a great week.